And now I'd like to invite Alfred Apps, President of the Empire Club, to introduce today's guest. Alfred. I should say at the outset that I think it's a wonderful thing that we have provided this forum for the minister and his wife to actually get together. <laughs> it is my distinct and, I assure you, nonpartisan pleasure to welcome our honored guest today. The minister actually needs no introduction. Mr. Flaherty is here today to elaborate on the government's economic action plan unveiling the Government of Canada's roadmap to economic recovery for Canada and all its citizens to put some substance into those TV ads we have all seen so often and enjoyed so much. In the wake of what has happened over the past year, this is a very tall order indeed. Canadians have only recently rediscovered the virtues of public debt reduction in combating the evil of compound interest. Just two years ago, Minister Flaherty reported to Canadians that our net debt by then less than 30% of GDP would actually be eliminated by 2021. It is a work in progress. That was an entirely credible prediction because it had already fallen from an all-time high of about 70% of GDP over the preceding decade. How times have changed. The minister, like many of his counterparts around the world, is presiding over an era of deficit finance and growing public debt, both in absolute terms and relative to the overall economy. This year alone, the deficit is apparently heading toward a record $56 billion, posing a real challenge to Canadian policymakers by any yardstick. The deficit challenge is compounded by a vexing menu of issues that Canadians are looking to their government to address. As we welcome Minister Flaherty to our podium today, I think it would be useful to mention just a few of them. First, the Parliamentary Budget Officer predicts that notwithstanding recovery, Canada will still be suffering from a structural deficit of almost $19 billion in 2013-14, a problem that persists even after taking into account the $10 billion or so in increase in employment insurance premiums that kick in next year. This structural deficit might have been covered by the rate reduction in the GST if it hadn't happened a few years ago, but that is now not likely to be reversed. So Canadians may be interested in knowing how we'll close the gap. Second, there are about 500,000 Canadians who've lost jobs. Almost half of those losses were in traditional manufacturing and most occurred right here in Ontario. What is the government strategy for replacing those jobs in an environment of a resource-driven, high-value Canadian dollar? In an era when the things we used to think of as being free, like clean air and clean water, what is the government strategy for ensuring that Canadians end up on the earning rather than the paying side of that equation over the next decade? Third, there are profound social policy challenges on the Canadian horizon with our aging population the looming and inevitably costly requirement in 2014 to renew the health care accord with the provinces, the pressures for federal leadership on pension reform. Finally, given that Canada has been able to pursue a public debt management strategy that has benefited from rolling old debt into new at historically low rates, 
what steps are being taken today to ensure that the potential for inflation induced by all the recent stimulus spending, not only here but in the U.S. and around the world, is avoided so that interest rates do not have to rise next year and Canada will not once again be caught in a vicious spiral of rising public debt compounded by a rising cost of public finance. Mr. Minister, these and other questions I am sure are on the minds of your audience today. You have a daunting challenge in front of you. We eagerly await your prescription for a future that is brighter for Canadians than the last year has been. Mr. Minister. Well, first of all, I want to, um, I want to thank our, our guest speaker, Alfred Epps, um, <laughs> for his advice. Uh, uh, I, uh, I do want to, th <laughs> I'm not going to go there. It's Friday, it's going to be a nice weekend, I'm not going to go there. I do want to, I want to thank the Empire Club and, uh, and, and the Canadian Club for the the opportunity to be here today and to speak today, if I'm a bit, uh, it's always good to be, um, to be home in the GTA. It's always good to be out of Ottawa, actually, and be home in the GTA, so it's, uh, I'm glad to be here. And if I'm a bit hesitant in my, um, in my remarks today, I hope you'll understand that, uh, that I'm used to speaking to the House of Commons and not to a live audience like this. <laughs> so I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> it's true, you know, that... <laughs> so, uh, have, you, have any of you ever watched that uh, House of Commons television program, the, the showing of the House? And you know, usually in the House, there, it looks like there are lots of people there. There are about ten members out of three hundred and some usually. And the, the person Sam Wakem remembers from his time in the House. You know, you, you see, you're giving a speech to like three people, and no one's listening. They're reading their mail or whatever. They're talking, they're talking to each other. I, so you have to be careful what we say. I, I said something in the House the other day, a little speech in the afternoon. I went back to my to my own writing later, later in the day, and a very nice woman who's a member of my uh, executive, my writing association, said to me, I saw your, your speech in the House of Commons this afternoon. I said, oh, really, it was nothing. And she said, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> and so, so. Anyway, today, I do appreciate the opportunity to be here. I, I want to talk today about two things. One, looking back at what has been a trying time for the entire global economy in the past year. And secondly, uh, spelling out what's next in our government's plans to ensure a, a solid recovery and long-term uh, prosperity uh, for Canadians. Mesdames, Messieurs, bonjour. L'événement d'aujourd'hui uh, me donne la chance de faire un retour en arrière sur la période d'essai à l'échelle de l'économie mondiale et de décrire ce que le gouvernement compte faire prochainement pour assurer une reprise solide est une prospérité à long terme pour le, toutes les Canadiennes et tous les Canadiens. The past year was consumed by a, by a global crisis. In fact, it's hard to, hard to fathom that it has only been uh, one year or so. This economic crisis uh, did not originate in Canada. It originated globally. But it, uh, it has had a serious effect on our economy. We had to act swiftly uh, earlier this year and decisively in the midst of a faltering global economy and an international financial system that, quite frankly, was on the verge of collapse. This action required leadership, discipline, and tough choices. We listened to Canadians and we listened to Canadian businesses, large and small, and then we acted 
boldly and quickly. Now, our economic action plan is working. Today, there are some tentative indications of recovery. But even with these early positive signs, there is still little evidence of firm entrenched growth. So we have more challenges ahead. We must see our economic action plan through to ensure that a recovery takes hold. We will continue to exhibit the leadership, discipline, and tough choices that have put us um, on the right track to recovery. And just a few words, if I may, about context and where we've been um, in the past year. This month, I've, I hope I've seen the, the last of international finance meetings in St. Andrews a couple of, uh, 10 days or so ago, and then last week in, in Singapore with my APEC uh, colleagues. Um, my initial response is one of relief, that I think we're toward the end of these meetings for, uh, for this year. Finance ministers have been meeting very frequently, as have our leaders in um, Washington last November and with the finance ministers, and then in London in April, and then more recently um, in, in Pittsburgh. We had to uh, act decisively. The global economy uh, we're all connected to has not faced a greater challenge since the Second World War. Over the past year, I sat at uh, many a conference table hearing warnings of banks too big to fail that were failing, or markets that may not open as investor confidence evaporated. I can assure you that these risks were real. What kept this uh, catastrophe from unfolding were decisions no one had ever thought we would have to, to make. Now, I can give you an example. On um, about 13 months ago, I guess, on Friday, October 10th, 2008, we were in the midst of a federal election campaign um, here um, in, in Canada. And it was on that morning that I announced some support for our banks that we would acquire some insured mortgages, provide liquidity to our banks, try to level the playing field, because as you recall, governments around the world were offering various types of supports to their banks. We did not have to use taxpayers' money, unlike most of our, um, our allies. We did not have to do that in the afternoon. I was in the cash room of the United States Treasury with uh, Secretary of the Treasury then, Hank Paulson, and my G7 finance minister colleagues. And the meeting began, I can tell you, with a, a, a declaration that we were all in deep trouble and that we needed to speak frankly to each other. We tore up the communique. This is one of the odd things with international meetings. They write the communique before you get there. Um, and it's, it's, no one reads them, really. They're just dense things. And so we tore it up. And we did have a very frank discussion. It's the most direct and frank discussion I've ever seen in my four years or so as, uh, as finance minister with some recriminations toward the, uh, the Americans because of the, the the fact that Lehman Brothers was gone um, by that time and had been permitted to fail, recriminations with respect to some of the European banks, quite frankly, that were highly leveraged and that had participated in the purchase of some of those assets that have later turned out to be, to be toxic. So that was sort of the, the negative part. The positive part was we all agreed that we had to act. There was concern that the markets would not open on Monday. There was concern that, that in particular in the UK, that some banks would not open and there'd be a run on British banks, some other concerns um, in the United States and in, in Europe. So we developed a five-point plan. The five-point plan was this, and I insisted too with some of my colleagues that we get this on one piece of paper and that we get the support of the, of the G20, the IMF, and the World Bank over the weekend, which we did. So the five points were we would not allow 
any systemically important financial institution to fail, bar none. Secondly, we would do whatever we had, whatever had to be done to unfreeze credit and money markets. Thirdly, we would reestablish confidence um, and lending by whatever means necessary. Fourth, confidence in national deposit and guarantee programs would be assured no matter how bad the crisis became. And all of us, finally all of us, would restart secondary markets for mortgages and other securitized assets. These weren't um, empty promises. We finished that meeting. We uh, went the next morning at 7 a.m. and met with President Bush, and, the, and he supported what we had done in the Rose Garden immediately following that meeting. We then had meetings with the IMF, the World Bank, the G20, the finance ministers of the Americas, North America, Central America, South America, all on the, all on the Saturday. And so by the end of the Saturday, by Saturday night, we had agreement among all of the major economies that we would comply with this, this five-point plan. This worked. The markets opened, uh, and uh, things were more um, stable uh, during the following, the following weeks, certainly, and the weeks after that. We did realize full well the potential uh, consequences of these, of these open-ended uh, commitments. We, uh, we chose to act the way we, we did. The costs of not acting would have been disastrous. Following these tough decisions, others um, emerged. Leaders um, and finance ministers of the G20 and nations, as I've said, have met frequently um, in the past year and have continued to apply these basic principles so that we can ensure that we don't fall back um, into uh, recession. A key element of these efforts was a commitment to use extraordinary fiscal stimulus to prevent economic collapse. And this is something that we've all agreed on together in the G20. So our stimulus package in, in Canada is, uh, is vital to our neighbors in the G20, to our competitors in the G20 as well, all of whom have acted to create uh, fiscal stimulus. As I say, this is the most difficult year for the world economy since World War II. This is a synchronized global recession that we have not seen before. We had to ensure that all nations immediately provided meaningful fiscal stimulus and that each nation's economic boost would work in sync uh, with others. Our approach had to be ambitious enough to deal effectively with an unprecedented crisis. And the risk here was not doing enough, including in Canada. And yes, we're running a deficit. And the question was, how large should the deficit be? The danger was we would not stimulate the Canadian economy enough, and we would slide back um, into recession. So for all nations, tough decisions had to be made in a very brief period of time. Our discussions worked. The world uh, pulled itself back from the brink. Now today, the state of the uh, global economy is still fragile, but the global downturn has stabilized. It is also clear that throughout this recession, Canada has managed better than most countries in the world. Because of the actions we had previously taken, we entered this crisis from a position of strength. Canada prepared for a global crisis by paying down debt in good times. We paid down about $38 billion worth of debt in the first three years of our government. This helped put us in good shape as we face this, uh, this global recession. In October, the International Monetary Fund projected that Canada's total government net debt to GDP ratio would reach 28% this year. Now compare that with our partners in the, uh, in the G7. The net date debt ratios in the United Kingdom and the United States hover around 60% of GDP compared to ours around 30%. In Germany and France, the ratio is closer to 70%.
For Japan and Italy, net debt is approaching or tops 100% of GDP. More significantly, the IMF also projects that our net debt will be only 1% of GDP higher by 2014. On average, net debt in other G7 countries will rise by 25% of GDP. So be proud of your country's uh, fiscal performance. We are doing relatively well, including, of course, vis-a-vis the United States. If I look at the unemployment numbers, of course, we have one person unemployed is one person too many in Canada, but our unemployment rate is about 8.6%. The U.S. unemployment rate is about 10.2%. We have never had a, a gap that large in, in the last generation, in fact, since 1975 in favor of, of Canada. The balance sheets of Canadian corporations and households are in a stronger position than the United States as well. During the crisis, our banks, our other financial institutions, and our regulatory system uh, kept uh, getting noticed, and for all the right reasons. Our system was deemed the world's soundest by the World Economic Forum for two years running. Our financial system withstood the crisis. Our financial institutions remain sound, well capitalized, and less leveraged than their international peers. Our prudent actions in better times gave us a true fiscal advantage when the difficult times came. It provided us with the possibility of providing one of the largest economic stimulus packages in the G20 without mortgaging our children's future. When the times demanded it, our country acted boldly, drafting a budget in record time and delivering the earliest budget in the history of our country on January 27th this year. The $61 billion economic action plan went above and beyond our G20 commitment, estimated at 4% of GDP over 2009-2010. That includes the provinces and the territories and their stimulus spending. And again, you can be proud of your country because in a time of crisis, all of the provinces and the territories have cooperated with the government of Canada to provide this stimulus across the board, recognizing how, how essential it is. The injection of stimulus is the largest, as I say, in the G7. It is among the largest stimulus packages in the G20. The economic action plan was intended as an immediate jolt to the nation's economy while being ever mindful of our country's long-term future. And it includes permanent tax reductions, help for the unemployed, and we've continued to do that because we've seen the reality of of uh, long-term, long-tenured workers uh, falling off the system, so we have to provide for, for more uh, benefits there, which we've done. Uh, it provides for the creation and, and, and preservation of jobs through the massive infrastructure spending across the country, and also investments in innovation through improved infrastructure at colleges and universities and support for research and technology, support for industries and communities most affected by the global downturn including in the auto sector, including in the forestry sector, improved access to affordable financing for Canadian households and businesses. So the Economic Action Plan went further and did more than any budget before it. It had to. After preparing the earliest budget in Canadian history, we wasted no time in implementing it. As indicated in our third report to Canadians, 90% of this year's Action Plan stimulus was committed as of September this year. The extraordinary financing framework was fully operational less than five months after the budget was tabled. Personal income tax reductions, enhanced EI benefits have been in effect since April. As of September, 
7,500 infrastructure projects were identified. More than 4,000 of these are already underway. There's no question that uh, this far-reaching um, expedited process has helped us to stabilize the Canadian economy. So, where are we now? Well, our housing market, as you know, is growing. Auto sales are increasing. Employment, while still far too low, appears to have stabilized. According to Statistics Canada, growth in government capital investment almost doubled in the second quarter of 2009 after being on a downward trend for more than a year. Canada's economic action plan has been hailed internationally as large, timely, well-diversified, and structured for maximum effectiveness. Just last week, the IMF concluded that Canada's resiliency during a global crisis is due to strong and credible policies that were introduced when they were needed most. As our regular reports to, uh, to Canadians, and there's one more to come in early December, our fourth report to Canadians on the stimulus package this year, the Economic Action Plan is, a, is making a real difference in communities across Canada. It is protecting and creating jobs, building and improving vital infrastructure and housing, which is the long-term benefit, and keeping us at the front of the global pack with a competitive tax system. As of 2013, with the cooperation of most of the provinces, the combined corporate tax rate in Canada will be, in most parts of Canada, will be 25%. We started off federally at about 20, a little bit above 22%. We'll be down to 15% by 2012-2013. Most of the provinces will be at 10 or lower by that time. So we will have a 25% corporate tax rate in most of the country by 2013, including um, in Ontario. Um, in terms of the plan itself, the implementation of the Economic Action Plan, it is a two-year plan, and we are not yet through the first year. So in preparing next year's budget, I have uh, no doubt that uh, we will stay the course, that we will continue with the Economic Action Plan, the implementation of it into early 2011, which was the plan from the outset. Now, I have no doubt our government will hear, and I will hear, calls to, to change course, um, this uh, short-sightedness completely overlooks everything our sound plan has achieved so far. We don't want to uh, switch gears now. This is a crucial time. It would be misguided uh, for us to take that, that approach now, and we will not um, waver from the course that we have uh, embarked on. It would also be a, an abdication of our commitment um, in the G20, where our, uh, our fellow countries are going ahead with their stimulus packages continuing into 2010 which is why I will be as clear as I can today on what is in store for the 2010 uh, federal budget. This will not be a, um, the usual budget. It will uh, be a budget that completes the implementation of economic stimulus that's among the largest in the world, which will complement the fiscal measures, as I say, of other nations in the G20. The budget will support Canadian families and businesses. The Economic Action Plan is a plan that is working and we will persist with it. In other words, Budget 2010 will be year two of our two-year economic action plan. We will not undertake major new spending initiatives. We will stay the course with the economic action plan already announced to protect and create jobs. Just yesterday, in their most recent uh, economic outlook, the OECD advised Canada's focus should be on rolling out already committed spending as quickly as possible, as the report cautioned, and I quote, additional expand expansionary measures should be resisted. 
and I can assure you we will resist them. Um, instead, governments should be preparing detailed, credible, medium-term fiscal consolidation plans to be announced soon and implemented when the recovery is firmly underway. That's the view of the OECD yesterday. We agree with that view. Our focus uh, will not be on new initiatives or added stimulus. Our focus will be on following through in getting the measures already announced out the door and into the economy. We will stay the course. We will fulfill our promise to Canadians for a strong and sustained recovery by fully implementing one of the most ambitious economic stimulus packages in the world. While doing so, we will resist any pressures to take extraordinary actions or to uh, assume indefinite obligations. Ronald Reagan, with some um, insight, once remarked that uh, the nearest thing to eternal life we will ever see on this earth is a government program. Um, there's, there's, there's much truth in that observation. I have, uh, I have no intention of being the kind of uh, government minister President Reagan was, uh, was talking about. Our economic action plan was a dramatic response to a specific dramatic situation. Um, it is not created for eternal life. The action plan contains a built-in exit strategy based on necessary but temporary measures. And temporary, as you know, means lasting only for a limited period of time. In the case of the economic action plan, that means two years. The temporary stimulus measures will end as planned in line with the expected improvements in the economy by the end of the next fiscal year, 2010-2011. But just, just as overcoming um, an immediate global crisis is not easy, neither will be determining precisely uh, when it's over. That brings us to our next challenge, preparing for a post-crisis global economy. And just a few words about that. While it's widely expected the global economy will, will recover from its recent downturn, what that recovery will look like is a matter of some debate. The IMF is expecting the recovery to be weak because a large amount of economic activity pre-recession was simply not sustainable and will not be coming back. That uncertainty uh, makes our fiscal planning beyond 2011 a challenging task since recovery in Canada will depend to a considerable extent on what will happen to the global economy. That brings a whole new set of circumstances to our strategy to return once again to balanced budgets when an economic recovery uh, remains so uncertain. Act in haste and uh, the risk would be precipitating another economic slowdown. Wait too long and the result could be chronic deficits Canadians worked very hard to abolish, the kind of structural deficits that other nations are dealing with right now. Add to that a number of challenges like ensuring our businesses continue to be more innovative and competitive globally, we will not be able to address these medium-term challenges and take advantage of opportunities if we don't have our fiscal house in order. So fortunately, as I said earlier, Canada will be able to respond to our longer-term challenges from a solid, strong starting point. Compared to most countries in the world, we are in an enviable position. As a result, although we had to run temporary deficits in response to the global recession, Canada's fiscal position remains the best in the G7. This fiscal advantage will serve us just as well years from now as it did when the global recession hit our country. As I stressed earlier, our priority in the weeks and months ahead is to implement the economic action plan, 
responsible government demands that we do nothing less. Once we are certain that recovery has fully taken hold, we will move forward on our plan to return to balanced budgets in the medium term. Our commitment will be based on the same principles that we relied on to turn back the recession, leadership, discipline, tough choices. Along the way, our government will not do certain things. We will not raise taxes. We will not put in jeopardy the growth track of major transfers to persons, our seniors, our children, those receiving EI benefits, and we will not reduce um, the transfers to other levels of government. Meeting this, uh, this challenge won't be an easy task, but once the uncertain becomes the undeniable, it will become the next challenge the government will confront head on. This government is ready to make the right, tough choices for Canada and for our children and grandchildren in the years ahead. Budget 2010 will focus on completing the, implement, the implementation of the Economic Action Plan to secure Canada's recovery. Once the recovery is secured, we will steadily implement our exit strategy. First of all, we will end the temporary extraordinary stimulus measures as planned in Budget 2009 in January of this year. Those measures comprise a large part of this year's projected deficit. About half of this year's deficit comes from one-time stimulus and support to the automotive industry, as well as temporary measures we took to increase benefits for unemployed workers and freeze EI premiums for individuals and for businesses. As that temporary spending ends, we will move closer to balanced budgets. At the same time, we will be experiencing a recovery, however modest, with economic growth and increased government revenues. By 2014-2015, we are forecasting a small but manageable deficit of about $5.2 billion. Now, when the, when the time is right, when the economic uh, recovery is clear and entrenched, and if it's necessary, we will determine the amount of spending growth restraint that will be required to balance the budget. If we have to restrain growth in spending when the time comes, we will find that restraint in the, in the remaining $100 billion of federal program spending that is projected to grow at 3.3% a year. So we have, just to talk about budgeting for a moment, we have the transfers to the provinces, large sums. We have the transfers to individuals in Canada, to people who are unemployed, to benefit of children, the benefit of seniors, OAS, and so on. And then the third large category are pro is program spending in the government of Canada. As I say, that's been growing at about 3.3% a year, and we can restrain that rate of growth, if it's necessary to do that, depending on how much economic growth we have in the Canadian economy in the, in the medium term. So, now I've, um, I can tell from looking at you, I've gone on almost as long as it seems. Um, and, uh, Following through on the Economic Action Plan and uh, planning our return to balanced budgets, our uh, government's commitment to responsible financial management is firm. It will mean honouring our commitment to Canadians, to our global partners, to ensure unprecedented fiscal measures do what they're supposed to do, and that is lay the foundation for a, um, an entrenched recovery and truly uh, sustainable uh, prosperity. It will mean, next year, rejecting demands, and I know there will be many, to make extraordinary temporary stimulus measures uh, become permanent government programs. We will not do that. And it will mean a well-planned return to balanced budgets 
that will keep a uh, sudden economic downturn from becoming an unending financial burden. Getting there uh, won't be easy. None of this um, in the past year has been easy. But we have demonstrated the discipline and leadership that was required during the crisis to put us on the road to recovery. We will continue to demonstrate that discipline and we will continue to make the tough decisions to make sure we complete the journey. I'm proud of everything that has been achieved this year, even if I'm still glad to see 2009 come to a close. Um, make no mistake, we have, uh, we have important uh, work ahead, and in so doing, we will continue to uh, make a difference in the lives of Canadians now, in 2010, and for the next generation. Thank you for having me here today. Thank you, Minister Flaherty. For many Canadians, this recession has been the worst in their lifetime. I think most of us grasped the severity of the situation and understood the effort it would take to regain our financial footing. With a wound this severe, it takes time to heal. Still, it's prudent to be concerned. The country is getting older, and many of the now retiring baby boomers lost a good portion of their savings in this downturn. Some are legitimately worried that they won't be able to afford to retire at all. But in spite of our losses, we are both astounded and proud at how well Canada has come through this particular crisis. A fact that has been noticed by and won us the respect of virtually every government and banking organization in the world. You yourself, Minister, were recognized as Euro Magazine's Finance Minister of the Year. And as some of Canada's most senior banking professionals have been asked to advise global financial institutions and government regulators about safeguarding the world's financial systems based largely on the Canadian model. Canada, home of Wayne Gretzky, polar bears, and the soundest banking system in the world. <laughs> we feel confident. We know that... Uh... <laughs> we know that the government will do what it, what it will take to, uh, to get us out of this. Minister, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. And thank you to everyone for being here today. And a special thank you again to First Capital Realty for making this event possible. This concludes our television programming, which will be broadcast Rogers TV in days to come. We are grateful to Rogers and 680 News for their continued promotion of Canadian Club events. This meeting is now adjourned. Thank you all. <laughs>